I've had a couple of times on stage when I really felt free. And that's something else. That's oh. really something else. Like all, 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 like, like, I'll tell you what freedom is to me. No fear. I mean, really, no fear. If I, if I could have that half of my life, no fear. Thank you for your words, Nina Simone. Hello there, and welcome to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today is a deeply personal episode for me. My guest is an old friend who's a prime example of what I admire the most about artists. AJ Haynes is the frontwoman of Serotones, a soul rock band from Louisiana, who are radically expanding what a rock band can be. A lot of that has to do with AJ as both a songwriter and a human being. In addition to her band, she's also the president of the board at the New Orleans Abortion Fund, a nonprofit that's actively fighting for a woman's right to choose. Basically, AJ is cool as fuck, and it's important for me to expound on what I meant earlier when I said that this episode is personal. For me, being in the music world has been mostly joyous, but I'd be lying if I didn't acknowledge that it can be trying at times being a black person within this industry. The specifics of that are wide-ranging, and something I deeply appreciate about this talk is how AJ was willing to open up about that shared experience between us. To put it bluntly, this is a talk that's unapologetically black, and I'm seriously proud of that because it's a chat drenched in honesty. Together we talk deeply about AJ's work as an advocate for a woman's right to choose, and how that work has become pivotal in her evolution as a storyteller. We do also talk about music, and earlier this year the band released their third album, Love and Algorithms, which is easily the bravest body of work that the band has made yet. It's an album that reminds you that rock music doesn't have to fit within a neatly prepared box, and yes, we do indeed discuss the importance of that throughout the podcast. Before we start, I'd love to provide a little bit of extra context for what you're about to hear. So we recorded this one while AJ was sat in her garden. I always find it important for guests to be as comfortable as they can be. With that said, there are a few moments where you'll hear birds chirping in the background. I decided to keep those sounds in because it does add something beautiful to the overall episode. So yeah, I just wanted to point out that you're not going crazy, those are indeed actual birds that you're hearing. I want to give a major thanks to AJ for being so candid, honest, and heartfelt during this talk. Seriously, this episode is such a beautiful example of what I strive to do with this podcast, where we could talk about life in a way that's both deep and uninhibited. Remember to subscribe on the app that you're listening to this on, and also to rate and leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings help us independent creatives in a big way, so if you like what you hear, definitely let me know about it. This is The New Exchange with AJ Haynes of Serotones. Enjoy. So you're doing this sat outside of like your cabin and th- this comes up once in a while um, when somebody has like nice greenery behind them. But as someone in New York, I'll be the one to say it. I'm jealous. That looks very nice. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I mean, there's pros and cons to all of this. I'm just like, I don't think I can not live around plants. Like it's really, it's like, a, I think of like, if I, you know, do relocate, like, okay, in what proximity will I be to like? <laughs> to like foliage and like being able to 
be like immersed in in green because man it's like it's good for my health I don't think it's for everyone it's it's really not um I don't advise it for everyone you know maybe this just might be my New York brain talking maybe it becomes for everyone eventually in the sense that like like I'm thinking about how when we were setting this up you were just in Europe right and like it must be wild having a space like that to return to it's really so after I went to Europe I um I went to Georgia and was at a retreat, which was a really nice time to like decompress. And it was like, I was in the company of all black women and it was really a healing experience and a processing and also like a manifesting experience. Cause it's like, you know, I realize what are the ways in which I'm like blocking my own blessings? Like what are the ways in which I'm limiting my own imagination? Um, as wide as it is, it's like, there's still more you know, that can be really generative and really uh, fulfilling. And in talks, I realized like, it just affirmed like what my needs are. Like I do need to be around greenery. And when I came back like to the cabin, as I live in the cabin with my partner, I came back and like the entire, like half of the porch was just covered in these. (laughs) Like I came home to like, ah, and Lots of, I left some cherry tomatoes and some okra and it was just nice to like immediately be in relationship with, with plants, you know, like that's what it really is for me. Like I don't, you know, have a lot of, have the passing thought of like, maybe I could like do a, you know, an internship and, or, you know, some kind of training around medicinal plants and plant medicine, you know. But I'm also like, I just kind of need the play. Like I, I'm trying to fight that like American urge to like turn everything into like a thing, you know? Like <laughs> it's like maybe I could just sit with these plants instead of like trying to get all this information and like what if the information's right here? Yeah, like being in the immediate and not like overthinking it. Kind of like having the exact opposite of what like you said most people would do. It's like, oh, I want to think I want to learn about plants. Well, let me like start this training. And I'm like, maybe the training for me is to just like be in relationship with the plants that come around. And it's interesting because when I first moved here, um, <laughs> I'm a crazy plant lady. Just so like, <laughs> somebody if we got questions, just cut in, you know? Like I'm so, I'm someone who desperately wishes they could be a plant person. It's not dope. No, don't be embarrassed. Like, so uh, one, of, one of the women at the retreat said this, like the, the, the plants have to find you, like the right plants have to find you. I killed a fern. And that happens because a fern's not supposed to be in New York. Oh, okay. What the fuck a fern doing in New York? <laughs> ferns are like, it was literally like, remember Fern Gully? What was yeah. the environment in Fern Gully? It was like yeah. lush and swamp. Fern, the fern was like, let me be at peace. Like you actually did that fern a favor. <laughs> I'm going to internalize you saying that because I had a very like sitcom experience with this where like I was gifted a fern, it died. And then everyone I told around me, like people here, they're like, damn, you can't even keep a fern alive. I was like, yo, whoa, what the fuck? First of all, the judgment is not necessary. But it's like, there's like, you know, there's small green, you know, like there is a certain like very specific and like tiny grief whenever a plant dies you're like damn you know but like and so like I want to acknowledge that and like you tried your best also 
Like a fern is not supposed to be in an apartment in the middle. Of, where do you live in New York City? In Brooklyn. Like, no, like, what a fern doing there? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The fern's like, you did me a favor. I'm tired of being here. I ain't got no friends. It's too hot. It's dry. It's loud. It's like, I don't understand what's going on. The fern was like, you know what? That like, thank you for just sending me to a better place. <laughs> what a... Oh my god, it is hysterical how everything you said in like the last like 30 seconds is indicative of so much that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, let's um, go, let's go. <laughs> well, well be- before I start jumping into a bunch of things, I want to like go back a little bit and ask about what it was like for you to be in Europe. And I've noticed this for me, like I've been a lot over the years, but I almost feel like the way I want to ask you this is almost like in like a James Baldwin type of way because yes 100 percent. exactly because like i i don't know what it is specifically maybe it has something to do with the time we're living in but there is something interesting about it's being born into this body and a period well there's (laughs) that well there's that well i was gonna say it's interesting being black and here in america and then going to somewhere like europe and what was that like for you after like the last couple years you know Yeah, I mean, so my first experience being in Europe was going to Spain to visit friends. So during the like the 2008, 2000, that era era of crisis in Spain, a lot of teachers um, couldn't find full time employment. And so there are exchange programs where teachers could go abroad and uh, find full time employment. And so that's how I met some friends. And, you know, they went from like Madrid to middle of Shreveport, Louisiana, which is very it's a tough city to live in. Like it's not walkable. It's like the complete opposite of everything that you would have in like a typical European um, town village. Um, so that's how I met them. But so I went overseas to just like spend some time with them and like do it. I was just like, yeah, I've, I got a free place to stay. Let's roll, you know. And that was my first experience being in Spain. And I remember, like, I was super jet lagged. Took a nap. And then woke up at my friend's house and like, there was just a softness. There was just an immediate softness um, that like, I didn't know I needed. And after dinner that night, I just wept. I just like, I was so happy and I was so mad. I was so angry because I was like, it's, it's possible to like, just be softer here in ways that like I haven't gotten to be, you know, either what's up y'all. So there's hummingbirds. They're just out here chilling. <laughs> just like, I'm keeping one, the... just, one just zoomed up and was like, what's that bitch? Um, <laughs> I'm letting you know, I'm keeping that in. I'm keeping most of the, the AJ isms in. I'm just like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just so angry because I was like, ah, oh, like I can be softer here and why, why can't the place that I love so much? Like, I love this country. Oh, I love it. And also like, why doesn't it love me back? Fuck. Like everything I could do everything. And you know, the, the death cult of white supremacy is so severe here that people would see their own die before they would do something about it. When I say their own, I'm like, you know, all of the violence, like all these different apparatuses of how fascism, how white supremacy works here, you know, I was just so angry and I was so happy at the same time. 
And every time I go to Europe, like, I just, I, I try to remember, like, to say thank you, like, thank you, thank you. This is a privilege. Getting to see the world is a privilege. And it's also what I said I was going to do. Like, from the time I was a little girl, I was like, I'm going to go see the world. And my great grandma was like, go see the world. And I was like, bet, like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's tough because I just, I mean, I love black people so much. I think that's the, that's the tough thing for me in thinking about like how I would move in the diaspora, you know, like what places will I be and for how long? Cause I don't, Okay. Rewind. Like being in Germany this time was just like, I fucking love Germany. It's like things make sense. Like things, you don't have to make things make sense. It just makes sense. <laughs> oh my God. So much of what you, you just said, by the way, I feel, I feel, and I've have felt very hardcore. And I think it's important to stress out that that sadness is seeing the parallels of like what makes like America and Europe I mean, obviously, Europe is like a like a collection of countries, but just like the diff, the parallels is that you see what exists in Europe, and you realize that it could be applied in America. And the easily. sadness is this, yeah, easily. And there's resistance. And I think what people miss when we talk about this is that having a criticism, like an act of criticism towards America, towards our home, comes from what you said, loving it. You can't criticize something you don't love or have some kind of care for. And I've I have felt the same sadness you have talked about it's it's hit me hard it's it's devastating because like i mean look where i live like like fuck like i love mississippi you know i i love being in the deep south especially i i love my relationship with my people here i love my relationship with the with the land you know and i would love to be able to continue to nurture that um as long as i'm safe you know and I just want to be safe. Like, is that so, is that such a hard thing to, to think? You know, I remember I had this experience. Uh, I was in Barcelona with one of my best friends and, and her uh, boyfriend at the time. And like, they were doing their couple thing. They were arguing or doing what the fuck ever. And I was like, I got to go. <laughs> so I just left. I was like, I mean, I was like, hey, I'm, in, I'm just going to go about. And I was like, just walking around in Barcelona at like three o'clock in the morning, you know, by myself. And I felt fine. I was like, what's the one to take my shit? Okay, cool. It's just stuff, you know, like, <laughs> like it'll be fine. And, and just sitting on the rooftop and being like, wow, this is. But it, all this criticism, as you said, comes from a place of like deep love. And like, I don't want to have to parent the country that I'm the child of, you know, but I think that's what it is. Like, I want to mother myself, mothering myself. And like, what are the things that I need as a child of the village? You know, not only like my village I was born into, but like the human experience of being like interconnected with other fucking humans as a child of the village like what do I need to mother myself and I will get that by any means necessary like I will not choose struggle if I don't like for what <laughs> yeah no I feel that. I feel that and you know what's also really profound like hearing you talk just now it made me realize that I met that you could definitely relate to this feeling like it hit me when you said like how you love black people I feel yeah. that in regards to our own people. And I think the most heartbreaking thing that we deal with in this 
context that a lot of white people, particularly white Americans, can't really fathom, I don't think, is that mm. because there is this big disparity of, like, you know, wealth and disparity of, like, people who have money, I, I feel like it's right. common where you and I probably have either one or several close friends that we know will benefit from traveling abroad. And we know they never will because they can't. That need to. That need to do it. To know that another life is possible. And a lot of their right. headspace is held back because they can't, because they've never seen it. And they also can't afford to do it. And that's heartbreaking. Mm. It is. And like, it's, they can't afford to, they can't imagine being able to afford to. It's like this defeatist, like, well, this is how it is. Well, like, I wasn't born into like, a lot of money like I just figure things out and day by day you know like this is these are the things that I prioritize like I prioritize mobility and I don't have tons of money but I'm I have everything I need you know and so I think that like I'm saying like this is another like apparatus of like white supremacist like this death cult of like scarcity you know like I yeah like when I see friends that have that were born into a lot of you know money that take for granted the mobility that's accessible to them I get angry you know because <laughs> I'm like I didn't have that but what I did have was you know the wealth of just self-awareness and like the wealth of like I was constantly like so sown into like these seeds of you can have what you want. Like, you know, you can, you can get what really nurtures you and no one can stop you from doing that, you know, and you can see the world. Like my great grandmother didn't go to Thailand or to Germany, like didn't know all of these things, but she knew that like that's accessible to her through her, through her children like the world is hers through her children you know <laughs> like so like i'm just it's powerful you know take uh, there take not han talks about this and um and it's like the art of living there's this passage where he talks about um he says he was one morning he was walking around and just stopped to behold the mountains you know and he realized in that moment that like as he was stopping it's like it's almost like a line of people walking. It's like all oh, my ancestors stopped with me. You know, we were watching this mountain together and I was able to provide that for them. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like if I'm really present with the beauty that I can surround myself with, like it's not just for me. Like it's for, for my grandma who like, you know, is... She's in good health, but she she can't up and go, you know, in the ways that I can. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that we started on this note because I mean we're eventually going to talk about music, but before yeah. we do, we have a lot of life stuff to talk about. And um... so look, so you got <laughs> a witch bitch got to be careful what she says because I'm telling you. <laughs> look, so uh, two of a kind actually. It, as I was writing, I was co-writing with my friend uh, Ben Wyland, who's just like an incredible human, love him. And I had this riff and I was like, I don't really know where it needs to go. And he just like 
started playing this very, very simple bass line, like do, 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 you know, super, super simple. And like words came to me and I was like thinking, actually specifically thinking about James Baldwin. And I was like imagining like going abroad and being like, as James Baldwin, like I've seen interviews, you know, like of him talking about going to Paris but for some reason, I just imagined him going to like Berlin for some, I don't know, like, why not? And just, you know, like a, an iteration of, of if James Baldwin were to be like in Berlin in like the 70s, you know, <laughs> like, which I'm sure he probably did at some point. And I just, the lyric, you took a fast track to Berlin came immediately. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to roll with that. And I'm just going to be present for wherever this journey's, you know, going. And look, come to find out we got a t- fast track to berlin so after we played jazz fest oh wow. i saw a friend i haven't seen in forever and i was like hey what you up to you know like they came to kick it in the trailer and we were just hanging out and getting some rest from like the ter- the new orleans in the summertime who the fuck decided to have a festival in new orleans in the summertime i don't know but we're here <laughs> We're here. The Germans know better. The Germans are like, we're not doing all that. If it's too hot, we're going to keep it cool, you know? Anyway, um, parallels. Anyways, like, yeah, we're going to this festival in Germany. And, like, they are paying for artists from the Mississippi that have relationship with the Mississippi River to be there. And I was like, okay, cool. Reached out to them. They paid for our flights, uh, gave us, you know, performance stipends, as well as, like, covering our accommodations. It's called Wasser Music Fest, and they curate um, festival or they curate performances around bodies of water. That's why it's called Wasser Music or Wasser Music. Um, and so, like straight up, like fast track to Berlin, like immediately. In a time where, like, for indie artists like me, it is hard as fuck to go overseas right now. Oh God, so hard. I feel like you're, even you're for, yeah. They make it harder, and and it even for a major like. Yes, even like for major artists, I'm looking at them like, what y'all coming back with, yo? Like, cause this is like, yeah. <laughs> this is expensive. Yo, that's where it should be said. Instagram's a lie. You see these really big artists touring the world or particularly like Europe and just know that what they're getting in return in terms of money is far from what you think it would be. Right. This is the first time we've gone to Europe and came back with money. Like come back, not in the red, come back with the profit. Like. Every other time we've been to Europe, it's like, guess there's debt now, you know, that I got to pay off either credit card or like, you know, whatever had to be borrowed to get there. Um, well, actually, we came home breaking even. We just didn't come home with money. Yeah. And what? That took nearly 10 years to make happen or like roughly, right? Close to? Yes. <laughs> like, a whole that decade. But, Damn. you know, that's, that's why I have I have to. Okay, I have to look at what I'm dealing with. Like, like we're, we're dealing with, as a music industry, a system that is not sustainable, was never sustainable. Like touring, when you think about how touring began, like I'm thinking of black artists like traveling, like this shit was never sustainable. You know, we, we think about like artists from Motown piling up in a Cadillac, driving around through the night crammed up like that's what this was built on yeah it wasn't built on being sustainable and 
you know, before we talk more about music, there was something I wanted to bring up. And um, I feel like, you know, we have to talk about the recent uh, Supreme Court decision and how that's, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's already changed our country so much. I think it's fitting that you're sitting in a semi-relaxed place for like this type of talk because yeah i'm gonna mention along with being in a band you worked as a patient advocate for the hope medical group in louisiana mm-hmm. uh for people unfamiliar that operated that operates as one of the three abortion clinics in the state and it was also in the news for directly combating against the decision i know there's legalities involved so mm-hmm. i know you can't say much about all that stuff but it did left me wondering um how did it feel knowing you were able to dedicate your time to a place like that that's aligned with your principles? Because I think in the context of life, that's very rare. It's, you know, I wish that it wasn't rare for people because, man, I, I don't regret anything, you know? Like, I have no regrets. So um, I'm currently the board president for the New Orleans Abortion Fund, which is New Orleans in name, but we provide uh, financial assistance for anyone seeking abortion from Louisiana now. Um, at this current time, our Hope Medical Group is closed um, and is relocating to continue to provide services that just happened. So anyone listening, please donate money to Hope Medical Group to, to help provide aid for all these folks that are either having to relocate, uproot their entire families or are unemployed right now. Um, and will probably struggle to find employment because of where they work. Like that's, that's the reality. So my journey with abortion care started from music, actually. <laughs> I didn't think I knew that. Yeah, it's super random. Like, look, when I tell you I'm a child of the village and whenever spirit says do this i just got to go i just got to do what spirits say and it has not failed me yet um and it it won't you know so i had a cover band in college uh jesse the current drummer and like brother from another mother you know i had a cover band in college that helped pay for our books and whiskey you know the things that got me through um important things (laughs) the important things don't drink whiskey anymore for a reason um, we, we played, uh, the Christmas party for Hope Medical Group. So Robin Rothrock, the, the founder invited us, but she was like, oh, cool. Y'all are, have a band and I want to see a band. And, she, and, you know, Robin knew how to throw a party for sure. So we played at the, at, at our, at our friend's house, this huge, beautiful backyard. And after the show, we were just hanging out by the fire, drinking margaritas. And, um, I asked like, you know, what is hope provide. And, uh, she said, you know, we were an abortion clinic and she asked me immediately, like, how do, what are your thoughts on abortion? Or like, like, I didn't really have a chance to like process. I was just like, uh, well, people should be able to have bodily autonomy, period. Not, no, my words were at the time specifically, a woman should have dominion over her own body and stop. Um, and now that's broadened to, you know, and knowing who all gets abortions and like the vast uh the vast experiences that are possible for people with the potential to get pregnant you know everyone in a, in regards to abortion specifically everyone should have access to it um, not just women not just cis uh, women um but anyway it was like 
I needed another job because I'm a broke ass college student and y'all are right across the street from my college. So <laughs> are you hiring? So I started work the next week and Kathleen brought me on and I just, they worked with me during my tour schedule. Like I was at the clinic and then I went into teaching, first had a marketing job and a teaching and then after teaching went full-time music. But when I was home, I was still able to keep you know, a job there. Cause I could just get home from tour, pick up some shifts and go about my business, you know? Um, so these are like, all of these things are, it's hard to like tease out things because like, they're all really connected, you know, like I wouldn't be where I am as a musician had I not worked at an abortion clinic. Yeah. Cause I imagine, it, no, it, it doesn't sound weird to me. Cause like, I think the correlation I find there is that you know, you're seeing people in, this is what I think gets, there's so many things I feel gets lost when people debate about this. I, mm. I personally, and I think you'd agree with this, I actually think it's disgusting people debate about this in the sense that you're debating about people's lives. It's kind of strange. Like, what is that debate? Exactly. And it's a human right. It is a human right, period. Exactly. It's a human right. And I feel like in relation to you being an artist where essentially you have to act as a conduit for emotions and you know share that with the world mm. you're seeing people in some of their most confused states where someone this is what i think gets lost just because somebody goes to an abortion clinic i'm assuming so duffy cut in i'm assuming that you know most people who do that they're not even if they're sure of the decision it's such a tumultuous thing to be going through in real time that nobody is sure of their thoughts and their feelings 100 percent. and you as a worker there have to be able to like you know guide someone's emotions and that's heavy mm. i will say that like yes and right like yes and in my experience specifically in Louisiana, specifically at one of the only abortion clinics for the entire state that is now closed, you know, even if someone is 100% sure about their decision, and I mean, there's, how do I put this? Like the decision is not the hard part. The hard part is actually getting to the fucking abortion. Like, like because there's so many barriers that have been created, by trap laws, which are targeted restriction of abortion providers. Like Louisiana has already been in a post-real reality. Mississippi has already been in a post-real reality. Just because something is a right does not mean it has is accessible, right? You know, so yes, exactly. because of all of these restrictions, these kind these death by a thousand paper cuts that clinics been having have been having to deal with. Um, and just like the cost of getting to the place in addition to all of the stigma. So it's like people's indecision is not always their own. It is other people's, other people's opinions, other people's unwanted opinions, other people's guilt and shame that has been pushed into their bodies. Right. So like, there's so many things at work in any decision, you know, a, and someone can come to the abortion clinic and not be clear. And you know what they needed that moment of, are you for real, for real? You know, there have been patients that I've seen that uh, thought they wanted the abortion and then changed their minds. And in that moment, like, that's what they needed. They needed that, like, is it time now or is it not? Like, I'm, I'm going to go into this situation of a pregnancy, you know, knowing 
the, that anything is possible. And especially if you're a black woman pregnant, like it is scary out here. Right. I, I hate. And they chose that. I, I hate knowing that. Sorry. I was just gonna say, I hate knowing in the context yeah. of like the, um, the other side, meaning like conservatives and people who advocate for this, you know, these like awful, terrible laws and rules. They never consider the reality of what you just said, that that's even a possibility where it's like, God, it's just like, it's so nuanced. And I, I think what I was trying to, to pinpoint, but I was like struggling to is that, you know, you said it beautifully and very eloquently about like the death by a thousand paper cuts. To me, it's like once a person goes through that, the headspace they must be in after dealing with all that is just so difficult because it's like, unless you go through that, how do you know what that's like? And for you as a, right. for you and like everyone there, you had to like help these people. So that's a big thing, you know? It's worth it. Like it's worth, I mean, I see myself as a doula, you know, like, I mean, I wish we had another word for it. I'm sure we did before colonialism, you know, but like, <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm just here as a, I'm here as a creative, right? Like I'm here to, to facilitate in whatever kind of, um, whatever kind of outcome it is, whether, you know, as a songwriter, as a musician, as you know, a poet as like a living, breathing artist. What are the ways in which I'm bringing forth something in, in the space of uh, pregnancy outcomes? Like, okay, how am I supporting this person through whatever the outcome will be of their pregnancy? So like, as an auntie, like, you know, or as, you know, like as an actual aunt, because I have, you know, niece and nephews are super cute, but as like, a village auntie, like, what is, what does mama need? Like, does she need some extra vitamins? Does she need diapers? Or if mama's like, mm, I'm not ready to be a mama right now. Like, let's get her some raspberry leaf tea and make sure that like, she's feeling supported after her abortion, you know, like whatever, whatever parenting is, because I don't think that people realize that like, I mean, this is, this is the reality. This is what connects us all is that we all have a mother, right? And there is no mothering that exists without a wound. There is not. It does not. That is that's not how it works. Right. There is no mothering that exists without a wound of some sort. And that wound, that vulnerability, vol, you know, is our power. So how do we sit with that vulnerability? And how do we protect that and how do we soften that and how do we just wrap around that person and their time of need you know and I just happened to find myself in abortion care that's really happenstance like if all I was never like I'm gonna go out and do it I was like no it came to me this is where I was supposed to be right now okay you know and and now shifting to you know not employed but as a board chair you know like I'm I'm responsible for the welfare of this organization. I get to shape the direction that it will go, um, how we'll continue to provide assistance. And like, I'm supposed to be here right now. I have no fucking experience in nonprofit, which is great <laughs> because I have the experience of an artist. So like I can imagine outside of what's been uh, fairly limited and fairly, um, I'm just going to say limited. I'm just going to say that. It's fairly limited and an imaginative scope. 
uh, and just trusting that, you know. It's so weird. Like I never, who's like, who'd have thought abortion and music? Sure. Like, especially during the pandemic, I was like, what was you thinking, girl? <laughs> what were you <laughs> well, doing? I feel, <laughs> I feel like what's striking though, is the journey that you've had of this, even outside of the context of professionalism is so indicative of how a lot of us live our lives, at least in like a Western context where you think about your twenties is knowing that the word intention exists and then you arrive at your 30s and you know what it means and also how to apply it mm. and that's a really big thing like when i heard you talk just now that's what i heard more than anything else where you found yourself more or less stumbling yeah, into I was this, like, well, what's this? <laughs> yeah and then the element of being a board chair where you are now it's that's proactive mm -hmm. so that's a big thing it's terrifying um you'll kick ass though it's you're you you'll kick ass though I do. I'd like, just because something's scary doesn't mean I won't do it. I mean, like I am, so I'm Aries rising, which is very, every time I like think about being an Aries rising, I'm like, this makes sense. Just like, let's just run at it. You know? <laughs> I think that might end up being. And then my Taurus son is like, let's roll down. I think that might end up being the, the social clip, by the way. So that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> just run at it run at it girl when i knew we would be talking this was the first question that came into my mind and it is related to what we're just talking about but when you think about the way people talk about abortion access and rights what do you feel ultimately gets lost within those discussions i mean a part of me feels like what you the person having the abortion yeah sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no no you, you you kind of i had a feeling you were going to say that like the person that gets erased is the person having the abortion. Like, <laughs> like, what is this person going through? Everyone is too caught up in pontificating and like, what if this, what if that? But like, what now? What is this person going to do right the fuck now? Because people think they're going to do something in a situation until it happens, right? There's, there's a lack of presence. It's, you know, like, are you, I mean, that's something I learned real quick working at an abortion clinic. What is needed now? What do I need to do now in real time? Because pregnancy doesn't stop. You have to make a decision, <laughs> right? The person that gets erased is the pregnant. And that's within the laws as well. Like all of these arbitrary laws based on even the term, like the, the holes, not the holes, they're like the, the shaky legs that Roe had predicated upon upon viability like that's not even a scientific word like these laws don't even have actual science from medical professionals in them like viability is a made up arbitrary line that people in different states get to dictate and then for me there's also like so I hold both of these things just like here's how these terms get weaponized here's how viability gets weaponized and also, the myriad ways that I think spirit works, like in how, you know, you know, we look at different indigenous cultures, like there are different rituals for what to do around a miscarriage, around a birth, around an abortion, you know, like there are ways, there are processes that are held in community where we make sure that every need is met. You know, if someone has had a miscarriage, this is the process for the ritual. If someone has had, which is, again, miscarriage is if like the person 
has failed in their pregnancy. Like we've got to have better words. As I said, I'm sure we had them before colonialism. <laughs> but, but, you know, like the spiritual side of this, the deeply personal spiritual side of this and how there is not allowed in what I've seen, uh, especially white feminist spaces around abortion care specifically, about like how though, like we should be talking about that. And yet there's, it's like people are afraid to talk about the nuanced ways in which someone experiences the end of a pregnancy because of this, because of how things have been so heavily weaponized with the, with the laws and the verbiage around it, right? So the person, again, that gets the race is the same thing that happens with the birth. People are all excited to see the baby baby gonna be there mama's over here just bleeding nipples out just like stressed out lost you lost this is the mother you know like whatever and I think of mother is mothering is genderless right like the creator has grown a whole ass organ and a human or two you know whatever multiple and the mom is just over here like but I'm here like the person that continues to get erased in all process of pregnancy is the pregnant person preach preach this i feel I f- like period <laughs> yeah congratulations to the person who is listening and they just like stood up clapping we see you we see you <laughs> and, and, might I, and might i also add by the way that i love knowing that there's probably at least one person who's listening to this and who's begging for us to talk about music as opposed to abortion like <laughs> like at a yeah. concert like someone who's like shouting towards stage banter we love it yeah, but it's like, but what is more important, right? Like my creating comes from my body, right? And like, I'm living in an era wherein that is under attack. And so like honoring me as the artist means like sit here with me. And if you sit here with me and feel through these things with me, right? And cry with me and be angry with me then you will fully understand my music. You will fully understand my music. <laughs> and this album, Love and Algorithms, look how I segue there. I feel hey. Hey, <laughs> I feel like it's so indicative of that because I think what's interesting is that, so would you believe we first met? I want to say it was 2016 or 17. You guys were touring yes. with the Dandy Warhols. That's when yeah. we first met. And that was my first introduction to your music and like your live sound and like the albums. And I feel like every album has been a journey of you both discovering and accepting who you are. And I feel like this album is like, if there is a plateau to reach in terms of like the top of like standing on top of a mountaintop, you're like right there where you're like, this is who I am. And I think that's really impressive. You did that. We did that. I did that. We did that. Yeah. You know, like, and I say we like in, in the, in the biggest sense of, and I, you know, like I've, I'm understanding my power more, you know, and my power comes from being witnessed, you know, part of it comes from being witnessed and whew, yeah, I feel, I feel the top of the mountain. Oh, look at this. Oh, I wish I could turn my camera. Okay. Wanting them to come up. The hummingbird was just like, I'm here. I like this. Oh. I feel <laughs> like I've arrived to myself and I'm excited about where we go from here. You know, like I've arrived to myself 
and I'm open, you know, like it's, it's a yes and situation. So I love this, this notion of like climbing toward the mountaintop because it feels that way. I feel like I've like gotten used to the air here, you know, grounded here. Like I have the strength to continue in a really intentional way um, after like working up that muscle. Cause it's like, every time you look at a mountain, you're like, fuck, I'm at the bottom. What does this mean? You know? And thankfully for me, I looked at the mountain and I was like, fuck it, you know, <laughs> let's just, just run at it. And so like that has carried me to this point. And now like, wow, this is, I love aging. Aging is such a gift, isn't it? You know? I've been feeling that way too, at least in terms of like, I'm real, I realize, I feel like I realize year after year that the older I get, the more I'm able to live exactly how I want to live in contrast to when I couldn't. Yes. And a lot of living, like, so, you know, looking at the album, for example, like the sequence is, is as such, it's two of a kind on purpose, starting, you know, with sunset to sunrise, wish I could see the world through both of your eyes, like humanity you know humanity like i want to understand it's not even i'd want to see the world through your eyes it's like i like i don't have to understand it to to honor it you know and i think that that was the openness that i love of james bond is not james bond james baldwin not james bond james baldwin <laughs> rewind it's like it's funny because I was watching this like weird James Bond film in in uh, Germany. <laughs> like we were in the hotel and we're like, what did we watch? And the TV was on. But anyway, like James Baldwin had a certain openness to the world. You know, I'm thinking of this interview when he's talking about arriving to Paris. And he was like, I arrived to Paris with like nothing, you know, knowing that nothing worse could happen to me here than has happened to me before. And I'm like, that's how I feel. Like that I'm open to the world and I know that I have survived so much and yet I have chosen to hold on to the joy. Like I have been through some shit, you know, I have been through some serious trauma and that has not taken away from me my openness. <laughs> you know, like that has not taken away from me my joy. I think about, you know, I think about Oshun, like I'm learning more about the Orishas and and Oshun is, is always holding on to her sweetness, you know. Uh, the more I learn about her, the more I learn about what she's endured. I'm like, that's it me. Like, we get the choice, you know. Um, and I chose, I chose music. Even all the fuckery, even all the fuckery this music industry is. I was like, I'm gonna do it. You know, with that said, I wanted to highlight a, a true... Um highlight of the album in regards to just the, the flow and the songwriting and just like it as a body of work is that it's interesting how the previous album power was kind of very much an overt uh protest album of sorts in regards to like what the songs were referring to mm -hmm. and love and algorithms is also a protest album but i'm reminded of i have a friend named rebecca in the uk and she goes by the moniker uh, self-esteem mm -hmm. and um she was on this podcast too and a lot of our talks centered around like how in western society and arguably the world at large a woman seeking out pleasure seeking oh. out uh, enjoyment in an unabashed way is a form of protest and i listened to your album 
and I feel that's the case too and and what you're exploring does that speak to you like absolutely I mean I want you to live in pleasure like that's really my I mean that's my hope for the world you know is I want people to find pleasure (laughs) like what a gift in small ways and it doesn't when we think about pleasure you know there's the sensual right there's and there's what we think of uh, there's what Audre Lorde names, right, as erotic intelligence. Like there is the erotic, the erotic power. And people get to define that themselves, right? It doesn't have to be hypersexualized. It doesn't have to be sex at all, um, for, especially for folks that are ace. Like, how did they find pleasure in their lives? Easily, <laughs> you know, outside of just sex. Like, you know, what are, what, is, what are ways that their lives are richer? Our lives can be enriched. And that's through pleasure. Yeah. Um, also, I find, so pleasure specifically, the song was written from the perspective of an Uloi from um, Octavia, but- Octavia E. Butler's A Lilith's Brood trilogy. I just like, I'm fascinated by this alien that's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't rule by force. It can, it can kill you, it can harm you, but it rules by seduction. Wow, like that's powerful. You know, people have a choice. You know, people still rule, people still have a choice. Like you can choose to not, you know, be part of the Uloi's um, synthesis with humans. And like that reality looks really shitty. Or you can have access to like a forever healing, all of these kind of superhuman abilities. And that's a choice people have to make, right? Like how it was really tricky reading that during, I'm glad that I was reading that during the pandemic and not, <laughs> and not Parable of the Sower. I read Parable of the Sower as all the shit was going down, like living it in real time, you know, as the pandemic is making its way around. And, uh, having Lilith brood was great because it, it was like just enough distance from, from things like being in outer space, being with this alien uh, race. It was like, I needed that distance to process all of these different things. But the Uloi are like, they're like sexy tentacled creatures, you know, and they, and they, bring people in through seduction and I feel like one of my friends was saying the other day like if he could have a gender his gender would be Uloi and I'm like I feel that (laughs) (laughs) would be Owen Collie so there's the Uloi are the people and the Owen Collie are the the creature or the gender I guess uh that synthesizes and helps people create or helps the race create with other creatures it's like the the Owen Collie is like the gatherer. It's like always gathering information. Um, anyway, read the book. I, I, yeah, I love Octavia Butler's Lilith's Brood trilogy. Definitely check it out. You gotta love a strong book recommendation. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I thought of this, like what I wanted to point out about the album, like another really big thing that stuck out to me, I, I really wanted to find an articulate way to bring this up, but I don't think there's one that exists. So I'm just going to like blurt it out. But no. I, I, I want to say this is like the most queer album you've ever made. I was queer as fuck on purpose. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it? 
I was gonna ask uh-huh. you that. Like that speaks to you. Like you you recognize that in regards to the songs. That was the intention. Like that like, was one hundred. 100- your face is amazing right now. You're like you're almost like a kid that got found out. Mm-hmm. 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 I did it. I did it. You know what's funny is like all of my like visioning for what was next, like the color palette, the like emphasis on the silver, the emphasis on pleasure, and the insistence on queerness. Like I knew this was happening. So I'm looking at major artists like doing the same thing or you know it's it's part of the zeitgeist or whatever the kind of collective consciousness I was like I knew I knew like the next thing that especially like Beyonce was going to come out with was going was going to be queer as fuck I'm ready for her to just be out to be H <laughs> like that would be great that would love that because I'm like Beyonce is queer as fuck like what's she hiding she's been queer <laughs> as fuck what's she like you, you did your duties, you know, you, you did your, you, you know, your wife and your children and like, can you just be like certified freak out here? Like we need, we need queer visibility in ways that like enriches and empowers us, you know? I mean, in the case of Beyonce, I mean, when you feature Grace Jones on your album, you're making a statement though. Right. She's all say it, but she's not saying it. I just want her to say it, damn it. <laughs> Well, this is the moment of the podcast where I stop to give flowers mm. because I have to say, to be a black queer woman who lives in the South, mm. writing the music you do and fronting a band, do you recognize how badass that is? And the best thing, too, is that I could say all those things. That's my dog, oh, by the way. Hi, honey. This is Missy. Yeah. Miss, Missy, the little white wolf. Oh. She was sleeping and now she's just coming next to me. said, darling, it's time. <laughs> you know basically she's giving me that look but just to say this like the fact that i said all those things to you just now and i can't pinpoint you as one distinct thing oh wow that's so special it speaks to how you're able to wear your multitudes <sighs> i'm gonna take them flowers thank you i'm gonna receive them flowers i'm gonna hold on to them i'm gonna dry them and press them in my book and treasure them forever thank you those are beautiful flowers. I mean, you made amazing music I got to take with me in my own life. So, I mean, I'm <laughs> appreciative of that. I, I have a couple more questions I want to ask you. And a big one was the fact that, you know, a wild experience must have been when you and the band played Good Day on a Stephen Colbert show. And yes! yeah, that felt big, not just because of how you approached it, but also the way those lyrics were conveyed. And you had this strong flair, this like wild outfit, and it goes back to intention. So tell me this, what was your headspace like leading up to the performance? Like, do you remember what, what you were, was in your head or what you were thinking? Child. So TBH, like. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was super stressed out because we had hired like the guy that typically does, you know, touring with us wasn't available. So we had hired this dude uh i'm not gonna say who he was i'm not even gonna say where he's from because i'm not gonna dog a city like especially a black city like that but he was on some <laughs> oh well you just <laughs> baby how many black cities are there a you handful kind of more or less kind if of... you want to deduce you can do that but it's not far from mississippi <laughs> you know i'm just gonna say that and i love look i don't even want to say the city out loud because i love this city that's how that's how much this p- person pissed me off but yeah, like I was actually really, really stressed out because we had like I had planned to like we were going to rehearse and then we were going to get to Na- Nashville and have I'd have enough time to like 
reset and make sure this is, you know, cause it's, it's how I felt in the moment leading up to it was very stressed out when I arrived on set. It is what it is. And I got to be present, you know, and I was just, you know, makeup team and like wardrobe and just everyone that was there was just so welcoming such a vibe. I got to have like some of my best friends with me, like Devin and Nicole and Cam, like, so leading up to it, I was real stressed out immediately. And I was there, it's like, whatever is going to be, it's going to be here. And we just have to be in this together. And I got my friends with me. I got my bands. I got my people. It's going to be fine. And just really chose to like lean into what I can control, which is how I'm going to react to some fuckery. So was the fuckery that the guy wasn't, sorry, like the director wasn't doing what they're supposed to? Oh, come on. <laughs> no, the directors, the director, you know, every, the team that I had was great. Um, I have learned that sometimes people really can't take direction from black women. That's what I've learned. That's my takeaway. I'm not even going to call out folks because it's not helpful. I'm going to focus on, even though I really want to do it, I'm not going to do it. You know, I know what I got, what I wanted. I got what I wanted, period. People showed up and did what they needed to do. (laughs) I got what I wanted. Yeah, respectfully, that doesn't sound vague to me because I've been on sets before and like, you know, for, for people listening who have never experienced what it's like being on a set, there is a thing where sometimes with the people working, egos flare up. Mm. And I imagine what you're describing is a situation like you as the artist saying, hey, let's do X, Y, Z. And like them almost pretending like they didn't hear you. Mm-hmm. Like almost like going like, see, I hate knowing mm-hmm. that I could picture what that looked like. But I mean, the fact that it came out the way it did anyway, because the, the reason I want to bring it up isn't just the fact that it's, you know, Stephen Colbert and it's a big show, but it's the fact that you approached it the way you did in terms of like, you know, the visual. And also, you can't, it's baffling to know that for a lot of people that, because we've been talking about attention so much on this show, it's baffling to know that for a lot of people, that's going to be their first interfacing with serotones. And right. was that on your mind too, like leading up to that? Honestly, not in that specific way. I'm glad you said it like that because I was like, oh my God, this is the first. I'm glad I didn't think about it actually. <laughs> I was just like, it's good you didn't text me on the day. Oh my God. <laughs> I was just, I was really excited because like Stephen Cole, like I was excited that he was going to get to see us. And, you know, my partner, who's uh, the bassist, he was like, oh my God, like Stephen Colbert has been like uh, a hero of mine. I was like, I was just so excited for him because I have such reverence for like Stephen Colbert as a culture shaper, as someone who, like as someone who's able to make people laugh, like in the way that he does and bring such levity, like really thoughtful, really uh, witty. And I mean, he's, he's brilliant. So I was most excited about him in particular. And I'm like, whoever else comes on board, as he's, long as he signs off, like, that's great. And, and also there are so many situations where I'm in where like, I know that this, I meet so many people, you know, and I know that first impressions are everything. People remember how you made them feel. And so if I leave my house 
that's the energy I'm coming with. Like, I know that everyone I meet, they're going to remember how I made them feel. So I'm going to try my damnedest to make sure that that's done with integrity. Um, and that just comes through on uh, hopefully everything I do, you know, e- even it's going to the grocery store. I'm like, if I left my house today, if I've stepped out to engage with other humans, I'm going to be the best human possible. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's so important. These little things. I, I am glad I did read some of the comments. There was only one like shady comment uh, from the video on the, in the YouTube comments. And I was like, this person lacks joy in their lives. That's unfortunate for them. But all the other comments were like popping off. I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> you know what? Like some people would say that like, you know, you shouldn't like, you know, re- like even think of like that. But there is something very human about like how there's like that one shitty comment will cut through. Like, I don't know what it is, but like that's a very human thing that happens, isn't it? It is. It made me second guess myself for a minute. It did. <laughs> it was like, because I listening, uh, listening back to it, like I can be really, really overly critical of myself. And I know now that I am my best self when I'm just very, very present. I'm my best self when I'm really, you know, allowing myself to be that child that's just, wow, like, excited and open and so in that moment that split second of second guessing I was listening back and I was like oh the way that I came in with the song was very like loud and it wasn't specifically like perfect pitch and blah 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 and then I was like but but the presence was there wasn't it like the message translated otherwise people wouldn't be watching this damn video so like how do I take that process of how do I know what is what it's gonna let what I'm gonna let live in my body and what I'm not? That's really it. Like, am I gonna take this criticism as like, am I gonna internalize it or am I gonna see it for what it is, process it, and then move on? Yeah, but what you said there is is indicative of the performance, like that sense of abandon that you just described. Like, that's what's there. So that's a that's a really beautiful contrast, you know? Yeah, and it's guided by so each of the songs has a planet or has a, an astral body that it's guided by. So Good Day is guided by Mars, um, which is like Aries, like we're out here, let's go. It's immediate. There is like, you know, Aries energy. Oh, hi, butterfly. It's like, wee, you know, we're here and like it's fire. And like, that's what I wanted to cut through. Even the bridge of Good Day is like written there's no like beautiful, there's no like, you know, uh, orchestral transition to the bridge. It's just like, and now you're in church. Are you ready for church now? Like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> and I love that about this song. I love that. It's just like, doesn't matter if you're ready, let's go, you know? And that's, how I had to approach the filming. I was like, I'm not as ready as I could be. I'm damn, I'm damn sure not as rested as I could be, but oh, well, you know? Yeah, we're so gonna do the thing. And uh, before we end, I wanted to bring up like, um, like I want to go back to when we first met because if I contrast the serotones I met backstage at like that Dandy Warhol show to the serotones that I saw like you know on Stephen Colbert, it's wildly different. And I feel like the albums have been indicative of that, where 
a consistent uh, journey has been this importance of branching out into different worlds and textures. And it's always important for me to bring this up when the, when the opportunity comes. But strangely, in the music world, that's not something that's reinforced. You have to do that inwardly. Like the music world yeah. doesn't demand that you evolve, even though that's where all the rewards are. So yeah. before we go, can you talk to me about the importance of that to you? The importance of having artistic evolution at the forefront of not just what you're doing but also what you're saying because mm -hmm. i think that's where it's very significant you're both doing and saying things that are very different each time i will say that just as you were saying like it's not reinforced it's actually not even rewarded right it's actually um like this evolution is not rewarded reinforced or encouraged you know, and specifically for Black artists. Like, I, I, we think about, you know, there's this book that I keep coming back to, uh, Just Around Midnight. Um, it's Just Around Midnight, Rock and Roll and the Racial Imagination, right? When we think about how Black artists consistently are the most experimental, consistently are the most innovative, you know, consistently are just the, be the world builders, right? and how people's imaginations limit them, the racial imagination, right? So like David Bowie all day long can shift gears, you know, and decide to reinvent himself. Um, but, you know, you look at like an artist like Grace Jones, for example, constantly re reinventing. It's hard for me to even think of Grace Jones as like, she's definitely like a woman. I think of her as multiplicities too, you know? But Grace Jones was always questioned, like, why am I doing things this way? Didn't nobody ask David Bowie that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very strong. So, like, it's, I just want to highlight the point, the fact that, like, you're right, it is not reinforced. It is not encouraged. And, and, and especially in the land, in this current era of algorithms, like, evolution is going to be even more difficult to track and get your eyes, get the eyes in, uh, on you you know, thinking specifically about like Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff, like there's less flexibility in that way. Maybe really Instagram mostly. TikTok, I think is just more random. Um, so just know that like in this evolution, it has probably quote unquote, like set me back in some ways, you know? And it, if you're gonna determine success by, how many views you have or how, you know, by this number or by arbitrary numbers. I don't measure success that way. Um, I measure success by, honestly, by spirit. <laughs> like, how is this living in my body? Am I nourished? Do I got my people with me? Do I have what I need and how will I be able to grow that? And that's how I measure success. So if you are someone listening and you're taking that evolution and you're really going with it, just know that people are going to buck back at it and fuck them. Like, like, <laughs> like, because you have to know you, you have to have a very distinct and clear idea of who you are and what is your purpose. And like, let that be your guide, not other people shaping you right or other people's opinions and perspectives shaping you and so 
I just wanted to say that, yeah, kind of answering this, this threefold, like it is not reinforced. It is not rewarded by, by the industry. So you have to find those rewards yourself. It's important to me because I could do anything else with my life. I really could. I'm real smart. I'm real adaptive. And as I said before, like, I'm going to mother myself and get what I need by any means necessary one way or another. You know, I have found my purpose in music and I enjoy it and it's hard work and I love it. And I get to build worlds and I get to do all this cool stuff. And part of that has to be evolution for me. It has to be It's like, what are we doing if we're not here? If we're not here trying to ascend, like what are we doing on this planet period? If we're not trying to like, transform you know like my purpose on this planet is how do I transform circumstances how do I transform grief how do I transform all of this trauma into healing for myself my ancestors and my future you know everyone that I'm connected with in the future that's my purpose in time suspended in time and space right now and music is part of that. So of course I'm going to evolve. Of course we should all be evolving, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I truly appreciate such a thoughtful answer. And like, espe- especially because one, it's so indicative of like the music itself, how it sounds. And two, it's just like, God, you know, there's an element of bravery in that, but more so in the context that everything you said reminds me ultimately about like how at the end of the day, even outside of the context of like a career and outside of the context of work, no one in life could tell you who you are. And that is one of the weirdest things in the world. Because in some ways, Mm-mm. how we interact with people does inform who we are in terms of like making us learn and realize things. But in terms of sitting down and mm-hmm. examining what's important to you, what you want to do, what you want to put into the world, only you could determine that. And that to me is reflective in everything that you do so thank you for that truly thank you thank you so much for checking this out be sure to subscribe to the new exchange via spotify apple podcasts and wherever you stream podcasts until next time thank you for listening